Filtered, episode 43 on the Fish on First Podcast Network. I am here with my co-host, Isaac Azud, and we are here with the founder of Fish on First, Eli Sussman. Isaac, what's up? Marlins uh, drop another drop us their first series in a while against uh, the Seattle Mariners. You, uh, Edward didn't look too good, gave up two homers, one to a guy named Mike Ford who was hitting under 200, other one to Kyle Raleigh who had a very quiet 30-homer year. But besides that, Miami tries to salvage it again. We are recording on Wednesday, June 14th, right b- before the Seattle Mariners and the Miami Marlins face off in the final game, where it's Yuri versus former Marlins prospect Luis Castillo. What's up, Isaac? Yeah, it had, it had been a while since you and I have done this, and it had been even longer time since it was just us with no guests. So I thought now was a good time to get to you know do this, talk about the current state of the team, which is a very it's a different. Uh, opinion that I have for them than it was two days ago. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Eli, what's up? Yeah, yeah, things are things are interesting. Things are, uh, as everybody has recognized, going better than hoped for so much of this year. And now, when you lose a couple games for a team like this that we just know is going to, when it comes to like trade deadline time, every single game is so pivotal pivotal between deciding exactly where they stand their competitive window, exactly what needs they have to address. Things change, even though it's such a long season, things constantly change back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. So they're just right smack dab in the middle of this really long road trip. Um, the last really long road trip, they made it through in pretty good shape at the end. And as we'll put this out, we'll put this out when it's still hanging in suspense. So we'll still have to find out on the other end of this exactly how they make it through and uh, where they go from here. But overall, yeah, this has been a, a fun season to uh to follow this team and we chose a really good time to to make the switch to fish on first so once again thanks everybody that supported us since we came over right here and you should be getting the podcast exactly the way that you have been getting it before so um that's the most important thing so continue giving you all the content you guys want exactly where you expect to get it if you're a first time listener make sure to like subscribe on the youtube fish on first same thing when it comes to the podcast wherever you get your podcast so let's get into the Seattle series a little bit. I know there's still one game left, but a lot has gone down in the last, I guess, 48 hours since the big, since last time we were live, which was on Fish on First Live, discussing the series. There's some roster moves made, some injury news, but most importantly, the game itself. Let's go into the, those first two games. Luzardo got rocked. I wasn't able to watch it when the Heat were playing. Isaac, your thoughts on Luzardo's outing? Probably his worst outing up to uh, of the year, you would say. Yeah, that was the debut of Isaac's locks, and boy, it's locks not the correct word to use. Um, right away, just things went south so quickly in that one for Luzardo. You know, giving the lead up double to Crawford, and then the run scores on the double to left, and then De La Cruz has a misplay, and then he starts giving up a home run, a three-run shot, I believe it was. So just him and Edward Cabrera both uh, suffering from the long ball is not what you want from these two very young pitchers. So we'll talk about Cabrera in a little bit, but yeah, that – Neither of these games have been close at all, and the Luzardo one was especially uh, devastating, I would put it as put as the word. And I think something I wanted to mention is just how good Seattle's pitching is because when then you look at it on the other end, the offensive end, Miami could not get anything going. The only thing they got was a solo home run from Nick Fortes, and I believe that was the only hit in the first game. And then in last night's game, uh, Miami – it was in garbage time when they got something going. I know they had, you know, the one earn, the one run they scored off of George Kirby, who, by the way, had enough a phenomenal outing, career height, seven strikeouts, went six innings. He shoved, uh, didn't walk anyone, which is nothing surprising on his end. It was an unearned run. So Seattle's pitching is phenomenal. Miami's offense just couldn't get it going. And for a team that is in third place, they are, they don't really look like your typical third place team. It's just how good the AL West is. But Eli, the offense just struggles. Can we expect this moving forward? I know you have Washington, but you know I think you've said this many times that Washington, Miami are a pretty similar team in terms of how good you know. And, and Washington's been pretty good. Mm, I don't know if I feel that way anymore. I felt oh, that way okay. <laughs> several weeks ago. I mean, the national the Nationals are kind of settling into who, who we thought they were going to be. I think the Marlins are a more comparable team to the Mariners. So this is disappointing. Anyway, you slice it to have back-to-back games where you lose by such big margins, as you said. Um, and what sticks out to me is just Arise. Luis Arise having, to this point, his most, arguably his worst series as a, as a Marlin because he hasn't done anything. He hasn't gotten hits. He, and the fact that this is predictable. I've tried to warn people 
you know, he's not going to actually flirt with 400 this year. The, you know, the question is exactly whether he can lead the league again, which he probably will in batting average, but he's not a superhero. There's still some limitations. There's a ceiling on this guy. And sometimes your hits are just not going to find the grass the way that they were at certain points. There've been a couple of times in just the last couple of days where he's hit the ball solidly. And it's just been a few inches in the wrong direction. And the fielder was able to come up with it. So he's down to 384. I think what everybody recognizes is that the offense you saw during the Royals and the A's in the White Sox series, um, like that is not realistic representation of the ability that they had. This team, what they've done, and you have to give them credit for, is they absolutely destroyed those the soft part of their schedule. And that counts. And that is something that is not an automatic. It is not usually that easy to beat up on teams just because you're a little bit better than them. And by banking those wins, it has changed the perception of the season where they're a team that is now kind of in control of their destiny moving forward, where if they continue to like just hover around 500 the rest of the season, they might make the playoffs. That's really the simple bar right now uh, is just being a decent team the rest of the way. And they've given themselves a nice cushion here. The offense is still something that needs to improve and it needs to improve from what they can making those small adjustments internally by making sure your best players are actually playing and some of your worst players are not playing. We could, we might not get into that on this show, but there's some things they can do internally just to put their best talent on the field. And then more importantly, things that they'll have to do transactionally to acquire guys from outside the organization that can help them. When it comes to the offense though, I think they look kind of like what we expected in Chicago because Chicago's bullpen is really, really good. I mean, you look at those names and, and it's impressive. And I know, and I think we were talking about this, but, you know, like, despite them, you know, not playing up to expectations, their bullpen is still good. So I would I would agree with what you said in terms of the offense when it comes to the Mariners and the – not Mariners, the Athletics and the Royals because those are arguably the two worst teams in Major League Baseball right now. And then you have the White Sox, which is not a good team, still fighting for an AL, somehow still fighting for the AL Central there. But their bullpen's good. And I, and I would say Miami kind of got to them in, in the right way and especially – when it comes to that, you know, that final game where they were down four runs, they've proven that they could come back from that type of a deficit before, and they did it this time around. But moving to Edward Cabrera's start, where he goes four innings, four hits, five runs, all earned, three walks, four Ks, two home runs, 85 innings pitched. This is probably Edward's – this is the first time he's given up multi-home runs since his start against the Braves a couple weeks back or months back. Um, Isaac, just your thoughts on Eddie, and we were talking about this. He's kind of shied away from that curveball a little more, going with the fastball changeup combo. He got he used the curveball the one time he used it, tried I guess more more of that as a put away pitch. It ended up being Cal Raleigh's home run to give the the Mariners a three zero lead. So not good there. What do you do with Edward moving on? I, I get this point with injuries. I would assume just keep him in the lineup, let him in the rotation. I'm sorry, just let him go out there and get it, get get going. Yeah, it's uh, inconsistent is the word with with um, with Edward Cabrera, especially with that curveball. I think it was Fish on first that tweeted it out. You couldn't throw a better one than he did to Julio Rodriguez to strike him out. And then he left a middle-middle curveball right at Cal Rally's uh, wheelhouse for a three-run home run. And when you give up those three-run shots so early in the game, it's such a devastating blow to the team that's already facing a really good pitcher that just came off of facing another really good pitcher and that has another good pitcher to face the next day. So it's just really deflating for Cabrera. It has been a major, major scuffle lately. To right field, driven back, Cal Raleigh crunches this out of here. It's a three-run home run. I think the Marlins do have an issue with Cabrera. He has not once pitched into the seventh inning yet this year, or recorded an out in the seventh inning, I should say. He's only He hasn't walked anyone in only one start all year long. Um, the home runs haven't been too much of an issue, but he's still given up nine of them. I, I would be a little bit perturbed, and this I know we talk about Trevor coming back, and that's when Yuri would go down. I, I think the Marlins need to seriously consider Yuri possibly taking Edwards' place there. I know it's that's probably not an, uh, an option considering Yuri's innings limit, but he's got Cabrera's got an option left, and if they really are serious about this, you know, playoff run, quote unquote, later in the season, they're gonna have to figure something out with Cabrera because he is not performing the way the team had hoped, the way we had hoped, or the way we had expected. It's it's been looking very, very inconsistent for Edward Cabrera. And I know he had those two great starts that are against the Athletics and the Royals at home. It's, it's This was a different test against a, a good Mariners team in Seattle. And so it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Exactly. Go ahead. 
he's got the Blue Jays, I believe, next. So it's, yeah. like you said, it's not going to get easier. And this is one of the weirder things that I've seen this year is Cabrera's struggles. I did not think this would happen to him. And there are times he has looked good and, and against pretty good teams that, you know, there's there's moments he's looked good where he's completely shut them out and he looks like Edward Cabrera, the one that we know. And towards and at the start of it, and, and at the start of his start against the Mariners, he struck out too. He looked pretty good right from the beginning, and it was just really bad pitch, really bad pitches that were placed at spots where just hitters were able to take a really big advantage of, and that's what screwed him over in this start. And that's what really what I would say. And just that's so much change in pitch mix this year for him, or pitch usage, better said, because he's always kept that fastball change up at times where. He just relies on the slider so much. I would like to see consistency in his pitch usage. I don't know if you would agree, Eli. And what would you do mm-hmm. with Edward Cabrera? Is it time to send him down as well? It's not about really consistency in his pitch usage. I want to. I've been begging ever since he came up for him just to throw his fastball more. But the, I mean, the problem is, it's just not a. Even though he has good velocity, it's just not a really good fastball. It, it does not get as many swings and misses as you would expect, mainly because he doesn't command it the way that you need to. Um, despite the velocity and because of that, there's, it's just, yeah, it puts him in this frustrating position where he has to throw his breaking balls more. And we've seen this pattern where, um, maybe because he throws as many off speed pitches as he does, he's had this chronic blister issue. I've counted at least four times in his major league career that he's come out of starts early due to blisters flaring up when he's supposed to go deeper into games. Um, uh, it looks more to more to me, and this is what I thought entering the year, is that it looks more to me like his future is going to be as a reliever because of this issue going deep into games and because of the fastball just not being quite as dominant a pitch as it was supposed to be when he's coming up as a prospect. Yeah. And if you are a reliever, then you don't actually need to use your fastball very much. Like You can get away with um, leaning into your secondaries more, and then when he actually throws his fastball, it'd have... Presumably, if he's conditioned the right way, you get a little extra velo out of the bullpen so much so that maybe he gets away with mistakes more often than he ordinarily would as a starter. And you have to pace yourself. I think that's ultimately where his future goes. In this moment, they don't actually have a solid alternative. So this is, to me, is something that they reevaluate um, within probably a couple weeks from now. We'll see whether Cueto actually gets back even quicker than Trevor Rogers does uh, with this now recent setback with Trevor um, eventually, uh, when they have a decent alternative in the rotation, I, I do agree that, that Edward is looking to me like the weakest link. And despite that, I think we all are kind of recognizing that he, that this team, because of how young Yuri is and because of how cautious they are about his future, like it may be about more so, more than just performance. It may just be about, wanting to preserve his endings as much as possible. And they feel that because that's so paramount to keeping him healthy long-term that, I mean, it's possible that Edward may be sticking around a while just because at least with, in his case, you know, there's, there's not that same level of Hayden's concern about his durability and uh, they don't have him on such a short leash, but it is, it's just frustrating because he is kind of performing like a quintessential number five starter and the expectations were a lot higher than that. So he, he is a serviceable pitcher. Um, but for a team that really is is right in this mix, you know, that's not a, you, you want more than that. This rotation was supposed to be uh, was supposed to be able to carry some of the deficiencies that they have elsewhere on this roster. It, with very few examples, you just don't see Edward put together those all around great starts because of those he's just he's just a flawed pitcher and he's now working a pretty big sample of him performing this way last year he put up that era in the low threes and everybody was so excited but even then the peripherals were saying that you know this isn't really gonna last all that long if he's just he just does not have either the control or the commands that you typically associate with a starter and he doesn't have quite as much swing and miss as you need to to fully make up for that and still be like exactly what he was supposed to be baseball america wasn't wrong huh? they rejected him as a closer in 2025 and they certainly are on the right track does he not throw a sinker anymore I, wasn't that something that everyone was excited to compare him to six with it was the movement on the fastball and did he just completely he, he's eliminate thrown that? at 9.4 percent of the time this year 
He's been using, I, I, I gotta be honest, there have not been a whole lot of impact sinkers that he has thrown, even though he is using yeah. it. And actually, last night he threw quite a bit of it. There's just, it doesn't make, that doesn't make an impact, really. Um, this year, guys are slugging, they're hitting 353 and slugging 588 against the sinker. In fact, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I think if you go back and watch, you know, some of the really hard hit balls against him, um, those are against the sinkers. So he's still, uh, yeah, he's still a really tantalizing guy because in general, he just does not give up very much hard contact at all. Um, and there's, so at the same time, when even though there's kind of a limited ceiling when um, you have these flaws as a pitcher, there's also kind of a, a higher floor just because he's very rarely going to give up. He's, he's not going to give up a whole lot of hard contact. He is, his stuff moves enough that guys will miss hit the ball and he's able to, put runners on and still get out of it in a lot of cases just because of how many pitches he does have and because of how those pitches move. It's just overall the total package is, yeah, it's just not clicking the way that we thought it would, as simple as that. And then the final point I wanted to put up before we talk about the roster move slash injury designation transfer there is just the Seattle Mariners themselves. These This Miami pitching the Miami pitching staff was able to absolutely dominate numbers one through five, numbers one through four in the order Crawford, Rodriguez, Franz, Hernandez. And somehow five through nine in the order absolutely destroyed Miami. Mike Ford with a multi eye home run game, Kyle Raleigh with the three run homer, Eugenio Suarez with the two with the with a hit. I mean, is that is that a little concerning, Isaac, on your end, or is this just more of Seattle's a really good baseball team that has a really good lineup one through nine. Yeah, I didn't. When I saw Mike Ford up, I was there, you know, watching the game. I was like, okay, he he made the big pitch to. It was around third. And I was like, okay, you made the big pitch to get the guy before him. I'm like, okay, just get Mike Ford out. And boy, you just left. You let Mike Ford take you deep twice. That's not gonna. That's not gonna fly. So yeah, it, it would be a little concerning. It's not Julio Rodriguez beating you necessarily. Um, it's not Ty France. It's not Tay Oscar. It's Mike Ford, and it's um, – I know he's really good, but it's Cal Rally hitting three-run home runs. and I don't know if I would say it's a huge deal, but, yeah, it's definitely concerning. It's one thing to be beaten by the defending AL Rookie of the Year, but this isn't how it's supposed to go. If you're getting past those guys, you should be able to get past the others as well. I, I, I'm not a pitching coach. So I wouldn't be able to tell you where exactly they're going wrong, but it is a bit concerning in my opinion. And then moving on to the injury report slash roster movement that went down, I would say about an hour before the game or a couple hours. Oh, there it is. Perfect. You just saved my life. The Marlins selected contract of Archie Bradley from AAA Jacksonville. They optioned Huascar Brazoban to AAA Jacksonville and Trevor Rogers is going to the 60-day. But I think that's retroactive since he was already on the IL. He's eligible to come off of it on Monday. All right, let's go into, I think, what we've been talking about ourselves in our private chat for like the past, I would say, couple of days is Brazo Bond. You know, would you send him down? Is he the odd man out of the bullpen? And Alex Carver would tell us he is. They should go with Bradley or Maldonado. He ended up being correct. He's not going to shut up about that one. But Archie Bradley's now in Miami Marlin. He made his debut. He got, no, no offense saying, but he got rocked in his first start, in his first appearance, I would say, as a Marlin. So, Isaac, your thoughts on the moves? And I would say this right now. I think this Brazobon thing is temporary. I think it's just more for him to get him get it right, you know, get back on track, and he's he's coming right back up pretty soon, hopefully. Yeah, I would I would if I were a betting man, I'd say we see him again at some point. Maybe not be till September. Who knows? But it's a shame because this seems it did seem overdue. Although I did you know I did think that they would let him work it out, but it did seem overdue. He was really struggling, and he was ten earned runs in his last ten point one innings of work. It, it was time. He had obviously plenty of options. Uh, and it's a shame because you'd think now would be a, where we would have seen Nick Enright. Uh, he could have still been here. I think he would have been the guy we saw making his major league debut with Miami. But alas, he was returned to Cleveland. So, yeah, it's tough because the bullpen has been the strength of this team. And Brazoban, he really was the whole bullpen for the first month and a half. Remember, the Wrigley series comes to mind. He just saved this team a lot of times. And it's, it's crazy how fickle relief arms can be. And then when it comes to Trevor, yeah, he is eligible to come back uh, early next week. But from what we're hearing, apparently it's, it's might be a little bit longer than that. So that definitely bought Yuri at least one more start, which is tonight. I would assume he gets one more after that. I think that's going to be in, against Toronto. Toronto at home. 
Yeah, and I think that would have to be it. You, the hope is that Trevor's back by then. If not, maybe Cueto. He had a couple of fine innings, whatever. Again, double A Pensacola. Um, but it's a very strange situation. I, I don't know what they're going to do. If they really don't want Yuri pitching in the big leagues anymore right now, they don't. They might not have a choice. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that goes. Yeah. And with Brazabon, you mentioned the Wrigley series, and that was kind of his last hurrah, making yeah. a like definitively great outing in there. And ever since then, you can look at his game logs. Uh, there's just no, there was like one clean <laughs> outing in there out of his last 10 or 11, that, that stretch that you mentioned. Every single time, he's, um, it's just the lack of control. And you can notice that last year, he was kind of overcoming it for most of his outings. Um, and this year, the surprise was that he was locating his stuff like better than ever in April. And that it really took me by surprise how good he was. And at the same time, it takes me by surprise a little bit, like how consistently mediocre he was recently. I think the truth is kind of the overall numbers this year. He's a four ERA guy. He's a four fielder independent pitching guy. Uh, he's like a passable middle reliever. He's kind of he's a typical middle reliever to me, just because there's going to be some inconsistency. He's not always going to know where the ball is going. And when he doesn't know where the ball is going, he just needs to get whiffs. He needs guys to chase those pitches. And like theoretically, he has these great tools to get misses. He's both his fastball and his cutter and his changeup, most of all. Like he has really nasty stuff. He just needs to get ahead in counts. And um, but surprisingly, like how hittable he has been for this big portion of the season. I think that uh, this is the right move at this time. So see what you got in Archie Bradley. Um and even beyond him, I think the next man up should be Anthony Maldonado. I don't know what else Anthony Maldonado has to do. Even going back to last year at AAA, he's been amazing for that role. And Matt Barnes is probably just a couple of weeks away from returning, um, even though my expectations for him aren't especially high. Yeah, overall, we've been spoiled by this bullpen. You know, most of the guys in this bullpen are still pretty great. Um, you could go through basically all the names. There are probably five or six guys that even ahead of these others in the depth chart that are really good at what they do. So overall, it's still a, it's been a strength of the team and actually looks uh, kind of sustainable. You just never know when one particular guy is going to lose it. That Isaac kind of summed it up that um, these guys can f- like flip a switch from being dominant to being unusable in, in a hurry. So that's why you just need a lot of them. You just need a whole lot of depth at this position. You got to be ready to churn in those spots, you know, when it makes sense to do so. With Brazabon, and this is a stat from Fish on Fish on the Farm. After uh, he has allowed ten and runs in his last ten point one innings pitch, so that shows you kind of how bad Brazabon has been. And when you look at the, the game logs, his last good start was against the Padres, where he struck out all three in two point two innings pitch. So I think with that being said, we can move on quickly to Yuri. I think Isaac kind of teased it a little bit with what the situation with Yuri is. We thought today, June 14th, would have been his last start with expecting Trevor to come back on um, on Monday with the, the Blue Jays series coming up. He would have just sent Yuri down. He would have made a start. But Trevor was did have a setback now. It was a discomfort in the right arm, so his non-throwing shoulder. Um, he was ready. He was warming up, and all of a sudden, he, he was taken out. He, he didn't even finish his warm-up, and... This is where we kind of come to think of, does Yuri make another start? What do you think the Marlins should do with Yuri? We t- we've talked about this, I think, the past two platforms we've been on with uh, the Spaces and then now here on um, on Fish on First Live. But I'll, I want to get Isaac's thought. Six-man rotation? Is that is that what they really need? Is that what you think they should do? Because we've already kind of established there's no real need to trade any starting pitching depth to add Yuri and keep him there. And besides that, I mean, you right now have seven starters who are going to be healthy in about a couple weeks, you know, hoping Trevor is back and ready to go. And you have to make room you, for all of them. You you hope you have seven healthy starters in you a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's, you know, I find that very hard to, to believe that'll happen. And when it comes to the six-man rotation, Eli summed it up pretty well in on his pod. And I it seems like there's more benefit than anything i you're you're the one thing that you are losing is sandy pitching every five days he'll be every six days but you're also limiting yuri's innings at the same time having to go basically once a week which is what you want to do so it's tough when to think about that but i don't think that's what they're going to do um 
we hear that it's going to be 110, 120 innings for the year, and that includes minor league innings. So if he pitches every five, six days, at least five innings, he's going to hit that by early August. So not sure what you're going to do then. Even if you, let's say, slow him down and have him pitch once every seven to ten days, I don't think that's very good for the arm either. You don't, like I said, you don't know when you're going to be in this position again. He's never pitched more than 80 innings in his life, so I don't know why they were just so, so careful within the last couple of seasons. I know there were some injury concerns, but, hey, I, I think this 20-year-old would be able to handle it if, we, if he had to reach, you know, 130, 140 innings at most. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I, I do think he'll be sent down no matter what, whether it's Cueto or Trevor taking his spot. I think the Toronto star would be his last one no matter what, even if they call up, you know, Sean Morimondo, anyone to come pitch. I, I think Yuri's last one will be, will be against Toronto, unfortunately. Not saying I agree with it, but that's what, I, that's what I'm feeling. How about that? Good for Yuri Perez. Threw six innings for the first time in the big leagues. Throws over 90 pitches for the first time in his major league career. He leaves with a 2-0 lead in Seattle tonight. And I wanna and I wanna ask when it comes to the development of a pitcher, and I wouldn't know this, maybe Eli or Isaac would, but when do you start kind of ripping the bandage off for Yuri and letting and stretching out those innings, letting him go seven, maybe even eight if he's on a roll, extending that pitch count? Because they have to do it at some point. I mean, you're not gonna keep this guy limited to 110, 120 innings pitched throughout a whole season, including the minor leagues. You, that's just not possible when it comes to a pitcher. Like Yuri, especially in the position where Miami is, where right now, if the season ends today, they would have the second wild card spot. Mm, well, I appreciate your uh, your thought on that. I just I think it is pretty simple. They are going to limit him this year. He is not going to pitch into the seventh inning this year. It's not happening this year. That is a next year concern. The, mm -hmm. the generally agreed upon major league development plan, which I should mention, has had no success in terms of keeping pitchers healthy. But this is just the general <laughs> thought process is that, guys, you incrementally increase their innings from one year to the next. So with Yuri, it's it's usually somewhere between 30 to 40 innings. If everything goes well, hopefully, they're actually available to pitch, then 30 to 40 from one year to the next. So this year, that's how they come up with the number around 110 or 115. Then the year after that, it'll be pretty close to you know full-length starter they could get him to 140 ish or 150 and then it's really two years from now it's really 2025 that they'll actually have the training wheels off and they'll be able to perform like a real starter and that's frustrating but that's just that's the reality of just being so young this is ha this is just a generally agreed upon philosophy here with guys that are in their very early 20s is that they're not ready to pitch uh, every five or six days for a stretch of six, seven months. They're just, uh, again, I, I, I wouldn't be smart enough to tell you exactly what physiological benefit difference is being made by, you know, limiting them at this very arbitrary point and spacing it out. That's just, that's just how it's done. And just understanding that um, that is kind of what they're going to do. I think the obvious thing here to point out is that he's been so effective so far and i've been really encouraged especially the last couple outings because the first few you could see some flaws and some um i guess some rough edges around him and it looks like he was kind of overachieving and i'd say more recently it's been more legitimately great like it looks more sustainably great with him and it just doesn't make sense to option somebody to the minors if they are already a great pitcher in the majors it's as simple as that if you're trying to win games um then he should be in majors. But if he's not going to be available to throw a certain number of innings this year by your own team-decided uh, restriction on him, then put him in the bullpen. Then just use him occasionally in the bullpen for multi-inning appearances um, where he's taking over in a clean inning because when you put him in, you expect him to throw up zeros whenever he's doing that. You can't take that for granted. You can't take the ability to prevent runs for granted the perfect pitcher is like 2022 sandy alcantara where he throws all the innings and he prevents runs at an elite level um and yuri maybe he becomes that guy two or three years from now in the meantime he is on that same level in terms of run prevention so you mm -hmm. should use him to prevent runs on your team to me it, it is pretty simple that he should go to the bullpen there is some history of this with other young pitchers that go on to be great, successful starters early in their careers if 
they're just not ready for that full season workload. You put them in the bullpen and you use them as relievers um, and they'll get outs in those roles like that. So that is to me, the pretty obvious solution that would limit his innings, but yet he's still contributing at the major league level. And then you put him, you obviously go into next year with him as one of your foundational starters. I just don't see any logic behind removing him from your major league team if he is one of your better major league pitchers. Well, Julio Urias was someone they did that with, right? He he pitched many. Yes, time. that is probably the best example to bring up because of how they are in the same bucket in terms of being ridiculously Eight. young early in their career. Yeah. yeah, with Urias, it was apparent very early on that he was a great pitcher. But just to give you an example in terms of the innings, like he didn't pitch anything close to a full season until he was 24. He came up when he was 19. And yeah. yet he wasn't, you know, the the, the wheels didn't, the training wheels didn't come off until five years later. And he had an injury in between there that really slowed him down to his shoulder. Even coming back from that injury, they were very careful with him. And even, unfortunately, you know, it's it's such a complicated situation where even now, Arias, um, he's supposed to be entering his prime. He's coming off his best year, and now he's hurt again. So th- these guys, when they're healthy, you can't take for granted guys that are healthy and prevent runs. You do. You just don't know how long they're going to stay healthy for. As much as you want to take these steps to coddle them, these steps just don't work in every single case. There's so many cases where you do everything to protect them and it just doesn't work. So it just will again. So this will be released after the Mariners start. Maybe he gets the doors blown off. Maybe there's a big fatal flaw that is exposed. Um, I have confidence that's not going to be the case. And. I'd love to see them just get creative and find a way to still utilize whatever innings that he does have, utilize them all on the big league team over the course of the rest of the season. Imagine him and Puck at the back end of the bullpen, a couple innings from Yuri and you have Puck close it out. That's what a, that's a playoff team right there with Yuri at the back end of that pen with Rogers and Cueto solidifying the back end of the rotation. I, I couldn't agree more. And just to add on to that, this coddling of you know innings that, that like you said it just never works. You, you, it reminds me of what they did with Jose Fernandez, and they it was it was just like this. They would did not let him go more than five innings. Never let him reach hundred pitches. They I don't think he ever threw a complete game in his entire career. Obviously, it was cut short. But it, you can be as safe as you could want with any pitcher. That's not going to prevent him from getting hurt. So while he is healthy, while he is efficient, while he is good, use him because. He's going to get hurt eventually, and that's what the statistics tell you. One in every three pitchers suffers from Tommy John surgery or will undergo a Tommy John surgery. So uh, let's see how this plays out. And then quick update. Joey Wendell, again, out in the lineup tonight for Miami. So third straight day is out. Uh, moving on to another injury news. Dax Fulton is going through a UCL repair. It's what it's called, Eli. Yeah. So he will miss the remainder of the season. He is... It, it always seemed like something was up with Dax since the start because he was just not putting up the usual numbers. A 518 ERA, 468 FIP. He was walking guys at a 5.18 walks per nine. Like, it wasn't going well for him. Since the start of spring training, it just seemed as if something was up with, with Dax. So, Eli, just your thoughts on the, the injury, how long this could take for him, and just what it means for Miami's system because now that's another possible trade piece that you had out of the door, you know, basically in this case, out for the year, no one's really going to want him unless there's a a taker, but highly unlikely. Right. What's particularly concerning here is that they drafted him coming off Tommy John surgery. That is why Mm -hmm. he actually fell to the second round in the first place. He was super highly regarded as a prep pitcher and he was able to fall to them because of, you know, that little bit of durability concern. So to see less than four years later after his original surgery, to see, what is a very related issue come up, even if it doesn't require a second Tommy John. Man, uh, only 21 years old and already now with this amount of significant wear on his elbow. Uh, you, you mentioned it, that he just you know, didn't look quite the, sh- the same. His stuff just wasn't quite as crisp this year. He only had maybe one truly great outing with Pensacola before going on the IL a full month ago. And then the other ones, you know, it was just a combination of it was just overall mediocrity. You know, stuff just didn't play the same. He wasn't missing quite as many bats. So either he was getting into bad counts and he was putting guys on base or he was just getting hit around. And overall, it was an ERA a little over five in those seven starts this year for somebody that we thought was the second best prospect in this organization right behind Yuri. 
uh, that kind of level of ability also speaks to, man, when, when you're graduates from prospect eligibility, like who is the next man up? There is, there's just, it's such a steep drop off in talent from him to everybody else. Not, not only because of talent, you know, some of that is talent, but a lot of it is also this combination of, of injury concern. As you mentioned, all the other top pitching prospects in this organization are hurt or recently hurt. Um, Jake Eater finally getting close to being a normal pitcher again, coming back from both his Tommy John and then a foot injury. And Max Meyer, yeah, that's still going to keep him off the field until likely the start of next year, his Tommy John surgery with him. Um, so these are guys... I mentioned all those guys together because they're all drafted in 2020. So three years ago and pitchers are typically quicker to the big leagues if they pan out and Max Meyer got to the big leagues very briefly before hurting himself. That was a draft class. I remember that was very highly regarded for this team because of the upside and also because of the potential for them to get there quickly. It is really surprising that three years later, a couple of those guys got traded and then the, the last guy who's still with the organization, Zach McCambley, he is kind of being converted into a reliever from the ground up. So, that, you know, so that's that's just a, a big question mark is what you're getting from him. Yeah, it's surprising that not a single one of those guys is actively contributing to the team. And um, really, Eater is the only one that has a chance to potentially do something by the very end of the year. Yeah. Anything on your end, Isaac, or no? No, Kyle Hurt would have been nice. He was the last guy of that draft, right? Yeah, no, the yeah. just the I guess the only good thing is that it's not uh, fully reconstructing of the UCL, but it's it's tough, man. I think Eli really hit it on the button in the sense that they really not only do they not have a next man up when it comes to starting pitching, that farm system looks significantly worse once Yuri does graduate. So I'm not looking forward to that. But yeah, I think Eli summed it up pretty well. All right. So before we end it, as we all know, Miami is in contention for the wild card and at this point they would be making it in the second wild card so with that being said obviously we see the needs of the team they obviously the blaring need is catcher so we're going to go through some quick trade targets but before that i quickly quickly want to go by just the names that could possibly heading out the way out the door for miami we've i know eli mentioned pat monteverde in his article today that's definitely a name to keep an eye out for but on the major league roster there aren't really many the only impending free agents for next season will be when uh, Wendell and Cooper obviously with how things have lined up and you know maybe one of those guys goes out the door but the other one probably stays so Isaac how do you see the trade deadline working out for Miami obviously it's on August 1st at 6 p.m but just looking at it in an earlier stance where they are right now it's going to be an interesting one because the uh, Kim has never been in a situation to even consider being a buyer. And it looks like if things just, like you said, they hover around 500 for the next four or six weeks, they'll really, they'll have no choice. And so I do think they are going to, I would be completely shocked. I wrote this on Twitter the other day. I'd be completely shocked if they don't somehow improve the ball club, mainly on offense. I don't think they're going to add to the rotation or bullpen at all. I think they like what they have in-house at AAA as well. So I, I do think Miami could make a little, a small but important upgrade, specifically at the catcher position. I don't know what's going on with Joey Wendell. I, I don't know if there's been a report yet, but I like what I was seeing from him. So I wouldn't say shortstop is as big of a priority for me for this particular season as it is for like the next few seasons. I think catcher is the, is the area they really need to upgrade because Fortes is doing fine. He's whatever. He's, you know. But, you know, him and another catcher, like the ones that we're about to mention, I think would make a huge difference for this ball club. The update with Wendell, and I'm trying to look for it now, was it was, I think, something with his ab- abdomen? <laughs> As, well, his left adductor slash groin. There it is. He's likely off the bench. So he should be off available off the bench. Left adductor slash groin. <laughs> So that was from Jordan McPherson of the Miami Herald last yes. night. Um, that was he was and he was not used off the bench. That was a blowout loss, but he um, yeah. So presumably that's still the same. Okay, yeah. yeah the groin is unrelated, um, but he did his injury this year was an intercostal strain, which is um, yeah. I don't really want to like be uh, demonstrate exactly how this stuff is related to another, but um, yeah. So like mildly related to what cost some time earlier in the year, but I think um. This is a little further down. Um, hopefully he gets through it. You know, durability has been kind of one of the big things holding back his value as a player each of the last couple of seasons. 
and he's just been playing well, as you mentioned, having a weird year, but overall having a Very weird. decent, he's been overall pretty good for them on both sides of the ball in recent weeks. So we need him back. I guess I should just mention to be factually accurate. They do have another pending free agent. That'd be Dylan Floro. And if we talk about this bullpen being a pretty deep bullpen, where we like a lot of these guys and in Floro, he's had some very high highs this year, but also, you know, a couple he's laid an egg in a couple of very important spots as well. So they're not going to be extending him. Um, and if they feel really good about their other pen options, um, especially these, a couple other guys in AAA that they, maybe if they finally deserve an opportunity and if Brazabon gets turned out, like Floro is a guy that even if you're contending, like, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to recoup a little bit of young talent in return, maybe save a little bit of money sending him out in order to spend that money acquiring a veteran at another position that they have a greater need. We keep touching on this, that it has been such a pleasant surprise how good this bullpen has been. And we're pretty deep into the year. And for the most part, it's still a pretty impressive bullpen. So you got to start buying into, you know, what your team is at this point and realize that if this is a strength of the team, then you can make moves off of that in order to address other areas that aren't quite as strong. So with that being said, we're, we all have, I think, a name or two we want to quickly, quickly mention. So we'll start with Isaac Eli, and then I'll wrap it up. So. Uh, the only um, area of weakness that's larger than just simply catcher is left-handed power with Jesus Sanchez. When he was gone, Jazz Chisholm has been out for a while now. I think they could really use, you know, some sort of lefty bat, especially at the catcher position. I think Yasmani Rendell fits that mold. He's on the last year of his deal, if I'm not mistaken. So he shouldn't be too ex- – yeah, signed through 2023. He's on the last year of his deal. He shouldn't be too expensive. You, you, they would have to offset some money. Maybe that's somewhere that Dylan Floro could be a part of. Obviously, that would be nearly enough. But that's someone that I really think would really raise the floor of this lineup, hit in the middle of it, and offer power from both sides of the plate. And he's just someone that's been good for, you know, almost his entire career. He had a really bad year last year. Only played 99 games. But he's he would be the ideal candidate for the Marlins to acquire. In my opinion, Miami guy, Cuban guy, I think he, he fits the mold really well. I, I don't think he's known too much for his defensive skills, but he can he can have it all. Yeah. He does have a noodle arm at this stage of his career. Um, with him, he's a fascinating guy where he became such a – easy player to shift against and now with the shift going away his batting average on balls in play is like the highest it's ever been so that is leading to him being uh, being a more consistent offensive player where there's more hits to go around i I have a catcher as well i I wrote an entire article on him earlier today on the website fish on first that people can check out jan gomes jan gomes of the chicago cubs so with grandal um, I think that's probably slightly more likely that he's going to be available just because he is in the final year of his deal and because his team is, I think it's harder to see that team really putting things together on the, on the south side. And then the north side, the Cubs got off to that good start, but kind of since then they've been very un- underwhelming with them. Uh, even when having a lot of their guys healthy, there's still a little bit of time for them to straighten things out. And they're in a division where I don't think they're going to give up on things in a hurry yet. Gomes is a guy that even if they are kind of in it, I could see them moving him just because of um, to recoup some value on, on their own end to address other needs. The fact that they have a youngish catcher in Miguel Amaya who used to be a top prospect. And if they want to find out exactly what they have in him, they need to play him somewhere at the moment. The Cubs are actually carrying three catchers on the roster at the same time. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's available with, with Gomes. He is, I, I did not realize this. He is the very best catcher at hitting lefty, left-handed pitching this year. He is a 180 WRC plus against lefties. Absolutely destroys lefties this year. So that's a, a situ- that's where you can find opportunities from to play where you feel pretty good about him having good at-bats when he has a platoon advantage. He's just He's been around such a long time. And he's been a little more consistent than somebody like Grandal. Almost every single year, he is average or better in terms of offense that you get from the catcher's position. And defensively, I think he's all right. He grits really poorly as a pitch framer so far this year. Um, then again, Jacob Stallings does as well. I just feel like he's a pretty clear improvement over Stallings in, in a lot of regards, having the power that Stallings doesn't. Defensively, still being passable 
being able to actually catch runners despite not having a very strong throwing arm himself. And he, he has a club option for next year. When you're talking about the, not just this year, but also 2024, it's really unclear what the Marlins are going to do at that position. So if he plays well down the stretch, it's a $6 million club option, which is entirely reasonable if you expect him to play half of your games or anything close to that at that spot. I think it's a really relatively safe deal for somebody that's really highly regarded for his intangibles has a lot of playoff experience. He's been a world series champion with the nationals. He is an older player. He's about to turn 36. So you just never know exactly when physically the body is going to give out for a catcher. But I think this would be a really nice gamble that probably wouldn't cost a whole lot in terms of prospect capital. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. And probably out of all the names we we're going to mention in the next month, it's probably the most, attainable name i don't think the price would be too much obviously i think eli you, you send monteverde and cash over to chicago for for gomes so that makes a lot of sense i'm going to mention probably it's a triple a name a guy who's being blocked so we we've mentioned that another possibility is obviously going to the minor leagues the the, the market isn't too strong for catchers in the major on the major league level besides grandal and gomes so why not go into triple a and go get Ivan Herrera, who to many was he, he was considered the heir apparent to Yadier Molina, who, you know, obviously now Wilson Contreras is on the team. So he's once again, once again, blocked. He didn't have too much success at the big league level. He only played 11 games, though. So in this year in AAA, hitting 296, 425, 531, and 956 with six home runs, 34 RBIs, a 142 WRC plus 23 year old catcher who absolutely dominates righties. Something that Miami's had issues with this year, at least towards the beginning of the year they did. He's not a free agent until 2029. I want to say, I mean, no, I'm wrong. Not 2029. He's still, he still has his years left. He has his years left. So it makes sense. Not only would it be helpful for this year, but moving forward, you get a young catcher. Finally, someone who, is developed correctly all the way through the minor leagues by a really good organization, despite the record this season. They're a really good organization, and this this it makes a lot of sense. And you know, with Grandal, he's a impending free agent at the end of the season with his huge contract right now, and and you don't know if he's going to come back. And it makes sense. And there's obviously other catchers I would love to talk about in the minor league levels, but right now one that's being blocked is Herrera. The only other one that I could think of is Corey Lee of the Houston Astros. That would be a cool name to bring on for Miami. Another guy who right now being blocked by Martin Maldonado. So that's really about it for catchers. Eli, you're muted. To mention, finally, on the catching notes, quietly, Stallings has been playing at a more adequate level lately. He's thrown out a few runners. He's actually getting on base in almost all of his starts um, over the last (laughs) nine games, over the last couple well, I think that's about three weeks at this point. So in a small sample, he's been playing close to respectability. That's why these decisions wait until the deadline. If he somehow keeps up that up, you know, from now through July, then it, they don't see a significant upgrade out there. If he's not a clear DFA candidate come the deadline, then they're not going to do anything. They're going to, as Craig Mish reported in the Herald, they're, they're keeping an eye on the catcher market. They absolutely should. Yeah, yeah. Stallings doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt anymore after how poorly he played for most of last year. That being said, um, this is not the only position that they'll go after, and it's not one that they necessarily will make a move unless there's something out there that definitely makes sense. And then the final, I guess, position that Isaac and Eli mentioned was shortstop. I mean, you look at the market, I can't name a shortstop right now that I would really, really want Miami to go after. So looking internally at Jacob Amaya. That would be a name that I know I've been mentioning for a while. Isaac has as well. Isaac, if Miami goes into the deadline, no catcher. Uh, no catcher, I'm sorry. No shortstop. Do you, do you, you call up Amaya? Especially with, if, if Birdie continues to play, eh, not to you know, the, the level you want. Yeah, we, um, we, you asked me this the other day. I think it was on the spaces if it's the perfect platoon situation, and it really is. I wrote my season – a preview for Jacob Amaya. He crushes left-handers, and this season has really been no different. And since May 12th, he's actually has an OPS of a thousand in the last month. So, yeah, I think you're maybe Eli was a little touched on it pretty well. Is that John Birdie? It's not necessarily that guy to be starting in the left side of the infield every single day, like he pretty much has been. And Jacob Amaya would do so many good things. He's 
elite with the glove. We all know that they got a younger Miguel Rojas for him. And I was hoping that last year Miguel Rojas would be that perfect platoon with Joey Wendell. They didn't necessarily try that route. I think today, uh, this season, is a perfect opportunity to try that platoon. And I guess they just don't like it. Obviously, Skip Schumacher is here and it's not Don Manley anymore, so maybe he'd be more. He was very excited about Jacob Maya when we spoke about him in spring training. I think it's only a matter of time till we see him up in the big leagues. And yeah, instead of, you know, getting Hampson and Birdie at short tonight where Joey Wendell's a little bit banged up, you'd have Jacob Amaya facing Luis Castillo. And you feel a little bit better about the lineup, I think, seeing him in there uh, rather than the names that we have than they have. And with that, yeah, with that, I think there's not much more to, there's nothing else to cover right now unless I'm missing something, Eli or Isaac. I, I, well, I just want to throw out there this is a name that probably came up last offseason or the year before. Uh, that's not on the market now, but potentially by the time we get to the deadline, Willie Adamas of the Brewers. Ooh. He has been he's been a fantastic <laughs> player a couple times. He he's has happy. he's got great power for that position. Yeah. This year, a down year for him, and it's a down year for the Brewers. They just lost again. They dropped down to five hundred. So even in a competitive division. Last year, they were in an even better spot, and what did they do? They traded Josh Hader at the deadline. Yeah, you're right. Now, now that was kind of a, a unique situation, but not really. I mean, with Adamas, it's the same case where he's a very good player. Um, unless they are really confident in being able to extend him long-term, then they might try to deal him while his value is still relatively high. Um, so I don't know if the Marlins have the chips in order to get him. Uh, it would have to take a pretty unique situation for him to become available. I, that's just the name I want to keep my eyes on for a Brewers team that I, I think, we, as I said, we, they've done a similar deal like this before. So if they are not, you know, clear cut favorites in their division, the way that people thought they would be, they, I, I think there's the possibility for a sneaky blockbuster like that to emerge. Yeah. Cause the, the interesting thing about this headline, and I probably should have mentioned this right from the start when we started talking about this is the sellers this season. Yeah. They're selling, but they don't have many pieces to, to offer. And probably in this case for Miami, pieces that Miami wouldn't need because when you look at the Royals you're obviously going to think of Scott Barlow or Royals as Chapman but as nice as those guys would be on the Miami bullpen you don't really need them and then you look at athletics I mean they're the Oakland A's there are a couple guys I keep my eye on or maybe two or three guys but besides that there's not really much there and then obviously the Cardinals they have their guys but you really think that that's still a weird situation there with with the Cardinals so it's it's a weird deadline there's not many names out there that are as flashy as we did see last year with Hader and all these other guys that were moving around the major leagues. But with that, I think we could we could wrap it up. Isaac, any last words or, or anything else we I missed? No, it should promises to be a very fun pitching matchup tonight in Yuri against Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo always dominates the Miami Marlins, his former team that traded him twice. Uh, so it should be a fun one. And if it is, in fact, Yuri's last start, make sure to enjoy him because he's a special kid. All right, well, with that being said, Eli, Isaac, myself, see you guys all in two weeks. Peace out and go fish.